All week long, I've been pondering two words related to Psalm 23.5. By the way, uh, I've pressed uh, the pause button on this series because I want to spend two weeks with this one verse instead of one week. So this week, we're going to look at the first part of verse 23.5 about a table being set before us. So and next week, we'll pick up uh, what the psalmist meant, what King David meant when he talked about oil and anointing with oil. And so this week, all week, I've been wrestling, really, pondering two words, presence and enemies. Those are oxymoronic, are they not? Being in the presence of one, one's enemies? Yes, by the world's standards, but not by God's standards. And I've wondered this week if... As I've been in the presence of a few people, either through Zoom or a phone call or now even in person, if someone deems me an enemy, have you ever wondered if somebody considers you to be an enemy? How would we even know, right? How would we know? And so I've laid all of that, the presence and enemies, I've laid it alongside something else Jesus said in, in Luke's gospel about the Good Samaritan. And Jesus was asked a very important question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, and he didn't answer who, who is my neighbor. He didn't answer that question. Instead, he flipped it and wanted us to begin thinking about how am I being a neighbor? So this week, all week long, I've been thinking to myself, who is my enemy? But I've come right back and wondered, am I being an enemy to another person? I don't know that I would know if I were being an enemy to someone. I've tried to think about who my enemies are. I don't know if I have enemies. I'm sure I do. But that's caused me to write down some definitions. So I've, I've had my blue pen out and my yellow legal pad, and I have been writing definitions. And here's what I've come up with. That maybe the word enemy means anything that obsesses life, oppresses life, represses life, or compresses life, as in it makes life smaller for another person than that life is supposed to be. Who are your enemies? Are we being enemies? Who is trying to rob you of your breath or your purpose? What is trying to rob you of your joy? Maybe that's the way we determine who or what our enemies are. But then I come right back with Jesus' question that he works with in Luke about neighbors and, and now what it means about enemies. Am I, amid all the division out there and the chaos, as Jillian so aptly stated, am I being adversarial to another human being by robbing him or her of their joy or their purpose? or causing them to hate or get frustrated or mad? Am I ruining my witness as a human being for the call of Christ on my life by the way that I am treating or not treating another human being? Who is your enemy? Last week, and I know you all tuned in, I know you remember this from seven days ago, but last week uh, in verse 4, we talked about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And sometimes you grow through what you have to walk through, right? 
And we talked about the difficulty of getting the sheep from summertime grazing up into the, the higher areas, the higher plateaus, the higher mountains where the grass is greener, that climate is cooler, where sheep are not so parched and starved and, and burning up in the, in the summer heat. They come through those valleys of, of sure and certain death up to the higher plains if they are willing to follow where the shepherd is leading. And, and something I've learned about shepherds is that to make that migration, that summertime migration from the low places to the high places, the shepherd would oftentimes grab a, a hired hand and the shepherd would go ahead of the flock and prepare that place, that mountaintop. The shepherd would go and, and prepare by doing things like removing fall or trip obstacles or trip hazards by marking the places where a sheep might fall or stumble into a cavern. The shepherd would go into the caves, would go and prepare a place by going into the caves where the predators lived and eradicating those that would feast on the sheep, the vulnerable sheep. But there's something else that the shepherd would do in preparation for the sheep feasting at that high place. The shepherd would go with a field hand and would start plucking up the toxic vegetation that would rob the life of a sheep. The shepherd would go and prepare a place, prepare that mountaintop by taking the thorns and the thistles, that which would entangle the sheep and cause its life to suffer and to be drained and to rob, of, robbed of its purpose. The shepherd would go and prepare that, that tabletop area ahead, day and night, shepherd would go ahead of the sheep and prepare the way so that when the sheep arrived, the presence of the shepherd was already there, was already known. The shepherd had prepared a place, and all the sheep had to do upon arrival was to feast and to rest in the presence of the shepherd and one another. Isn't that a beautiful image of God? The shepherd goes and prepares a place for us, and all that we're asked to do is to feast and rest with God and with one another. But there's so much about this imagery as it pivots now in verse 5. All of a sudden, King David gives us an goes from giving us an image about a shepherd to giving us an image about a host. This is radical hospitality. A shepherd who goes ahead and prepares the way for us. The host, capital H, models that radical hospitality by setting a table where the lion and the lamb will feast together rather than one trying to feast on the other. It's very Eucharistic in that sense, meaning it's a lot like communion. We actually call the bread in that meal, in the sacrament of Holy Communion, we call the bread what? The host. Yeah, the body. We call it the host. The host prepares the table and the host is at the table on which we feast. The host is the bread on which we feast. But then it's one step further, really. Because we are the body of Christ, according to Paul's language. And as much as the host, Jesus Christ, sets the table and is present at the table, he's also asking us to be the host out in the world to mark the places where God is at work. There are no enemies at God's table because to feast together is to be changed together. The hospitality of God is one where all people are invited to the king's table. And the king's table, it always has enough seating, and it always has 
enough food. Now, prior to this pandemic and having to shut down, that was a motto that we adopted. There's always room for one more, you know. And we're picking back up that, that motto. There's always room for one more. We're leaving room for everybody. And there will always be enough food for one more because that's called grace. But this image that we receive from the 23rd Psalm is one where God is inviting all people, the oppressors, the oppressed, those who are being compressed and those who are doing the compressing, they all get a place at the table, at the king's table. We all get invited to God's house, to God's party, to God's table. So I think about presence, and I think about enemies, and I'm kind of with Reverend Walters over here. Thanks, but no thanks. It's a hard pass for me to sit across from somebody who deems me an enemy or who I consider to be my enemy, somebody who's bullied me or somebody who's cheated on me or somebody who's just wronged me. How can I sit across from that person? But there's an element to this that I just can't shake about the king's table. I, I see it as this long banquet table, open air, where everyone is welcome, and where God kind of looks in the margins to see what this world has deemed invaluable, and God picks that up and says, no, you, you have a place, and that has a place, and everybody has a place at the table. And God redeems it, that is, gives it value all over again. And that's made me this week start thinking about the cross. It's made me start thinking about God's redeeming work and how it was on the cross, it was set in the presence of Jesus' enemies, the very ones who would kill him. And the body of Christ was there on the cross. And the blood of Christ was poured out on the, on the cross in the presence of his enemies to show the whole world on full display that God has set a table. And all people are invited. And this, is, this, this image is invitational to say God redeems you and you and you and us and all of the people we deem our enemies too. Jesus even said, Father, what? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, setting a table assumes that those who will come will have an appetite. Some people who come to God's table have an appetite for creation, that is building up. Some people have an appetite for destruction, that is tearing others down. Any, at any moment, we're simultaneously saint and sinner in that way, all of us. So I've been thinking this week about the times when other people maybe view me as, as an enemy because of the office I hold or things I've done in the past, things that, that I've said that are ugly or disrespectful or things that I haven't said that I should have said when I should have stood in the gap for somebody. And maybe people deem me an enemy for that reason. And I've thought about the people that I considered my enemies over the years, and, and here's what I've de determined, at least for now, is that so often enemy behavior originates as a form or from a place of, of malnourishment. 
that a lot of times in life I become an enemy to somebody else when my mind and when my heart and when my soul and when my relationships are parched and are starving. And when people are, are ugly to one another, it, it, it can quite simply be a, the sign of fatigue or, or that they're famished. But God doesn't prepare a table for retaliation. God just says, come eat. Come eat. Let me fill your cup up. Do we deserve it? No way, Jose. Not even close. But we get it. I thought a lot about families this week. And I just wondered if part of, when David was crafting verse 5, what we call verse 5, I just wondered if David had part of his own story, the father-son contention in mind when he, when he wrote this. You see, his son Absalom came into power and he ran David, King David, out of Jerusalem. And King David fled into the wilderness where there was no food. There was no nourishment. There were no green pastures uh, at that time. And it, and it says that when David was run out of his home, run out of his kingdom, when his own son was crossed up with him, that he found himself hungry and weary and his army was in disarray. And 2 Samuel says this, that three men who were not even Israelites, they brought bedding and bowls and articles of pottery. They brought wheat and barley and flour and roasted grain and beans and lentils and honey and curds and sheep and cheese from a cow's milk for David and for David's people to eat. And they said, those three strangers, the people have become hungry and tired and thirsty in this desert. Sometimes God uses the most unexpected people in the most unexpected places to set tables where God is already present and awaiting our arrival. And you know, whether we're having a discussion about what it means to be a neighbor or who our neighbors are, what it means to be an enemy and who our enemies are, we're, we're talking about human relationships. And the most basic form of, of community is a relationship between two people. But the most basic form of war is also between two people. And so I don't know how you define who your enemy is, but my guess it's easier to, to say that person or that situation or that substance is adversarial and is an enemy than it is to say, this is how I'm being an, an enemy. Who or what is seeking to rob your life and steal your joy. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come to give you life, an abundant life. Well, I think each week the table is set here. Whether you're watching online, whether you're watching this on Tuesday or Wednesday, and certainly for all of us who are here, the, the table has been prepared in the same way that the sanctuary is prepared. Your pews have been prayed over this week. Your names, I prayed for each of you by name as, as I collected your registrations. I prayed for your family, I prayed for your work, I prayed for your recreation, I, I, I prayed for the things that you brought with you here. I prayed by the things that, that you face when you leave here, and that's, that's just the thing. Enemies these days, as we're thinking about that, they could be people from our past whom we allow to bind and chain us to part of our story that God is trying so desperately to redeem. 
Or maybe enemies are, are those who won't let go and who refuse to live in the, in the present moment. Maybe enemies generically are, are those who keep us from pursuing our dreams or hearing God's, to God's voice. But more specifically, each and every week when we leave worship after we've been filled up through beautiful music and liturgy and mystery and wonder, we head back into a world that is so incredibly divided right now. There's so much noise that what we need is more silence. There's so much chaos that we need somebody to help us make sense of it and bring order to it all. There's so much division that it's easy to draw the line and to say, that person, they must be my enemy. They have a different kind of political sign in their yard than I do. That's my enemy. Or is the enemy someone, do you deem the enemy to be someone who wears a mask or someone who doesn't? Is the enemy someone who stabbed you in the back 25, 30, 50 years ago or 25 minutes ago on Facebook? Maybe your enemy is someone who's cheated and stolen is, I don't know. Sometimes we say the enemies must be the gun owners or the gun takers, or those who drive big SUVs, or those who drive battery-powered cars, or pro-life, or pro-choice, or whatever it is that we can allow people to rob our life and our joy from us. And all God says is, y'all just come to the table. Let's fill up together with unmerited, undeserving grace on the righteous and the unrighteous. So often our enemies are those on whom we place labels. That was our study several months ago. If we can project a label onto somebody, then we can consider them our enemy. We can keep them at bay. It's so easy to to hang out with people who think like us and look like us. And Jesus said something about that in Matthew 5 today, right? What, What is that profit? That's easy. That's easy work. The hard work is coming to the table, wherever that table is. So when we project labels onto another human being, that level of animosity, it's not robbing them of their joy and their life and their breath and their essence. When we project labels on others and keep them at bay and call them, that's robbing us from the joy that God has in mind for us. So King David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And Jesus teaches us how to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. It's a hard task of praying for people with whom we disagree, those who say something ugly about us or our friends or our persuasions on social media. And when I'm in the presence of mine enemies, I don't always feel like I'm in the presence of God. Do you? I think Psalm 23 says otherwise. God has already prepared that place. We're not told that we have to like our enemies, but we are commanded to love them. And I give thanks to God for that, because if I'm somebody's enemy, I pray that they would love me whether they like me or not. Jesus said, by this people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
people will know we take our faith seriously and we put it into practice when we're ready to find common ground with those with whom we disagree and when we're ready to stop being an enemy. Who is your enemy? What is your enemy? How does it rob life from you? And how are we being an enemy? I want to follow that by saying, how can we be a neighbor? How can we be invitational and invite all people to God's table? You know, coming to the table in the ancient Near East was quite interesting. It meant that you don't, it, mean, it meant that you do, you come alone. You leave your baggage at the door. You leave your personal belongings at the door. Sometimes people carry daggers. You leave all your daggers at the door. You don't come to the table with something that's going to do harm. You just bring yourself and you expect to be fed because to be fed is to be changed. I don't know a lot, but I know that there's enough division uh, out there to go around for us all. But I also know there's more grace, far more grace than we deserve, far more grace than we could ever share. Will we do it? A lot of people have enough religion to make them hate, but only a few have enough religion to make them love. That was on my calendar flip chart this week. I pray that as we enter back out into the mission field today, back out into our work weeks this week, that you will understand, believe that God has prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies, that grace goes ahead of you, that grace abounds, that none of us deserve grace, but we receive it. It's up to us to extend it, to appreciate it. I want to invite you to do something. We've done it a couple of times around here. We have a minute or so left. But something that has helped me this week, and I hope that it'll help you do the same thing. I just invite you where you are right now, here in person and, and watching on TV. Just, just put your feet flat on the floor and maybe put your, your hands on your lap. I, I want us to have a time of prayer together. So we're going to enter into a time of prayer where we think about our enemies and how we are being enemies. Let's pray together. Let's just focus for a minute. We think in this moment, Almighty God, about people we consider or deem our enemies. We think about situations and substances that are our enemies. And so in our own hearts, we name them right now. And with open hearts and with our own vulnerability, God, we we ask for clarity and discernment for maybe how we're being an enemy to someone else and robbing that person of life and of joy by our action, our inaction, our words, or our silence. We pray, Almighty God, as we enter back into your world, that we would find the altars and the tables that you have set before us in the presence of our enemies and we would be prepared to receive your grace and to share it with others, whether we think they deserve it or not. Amen.